Hi, welcome to the Mother's Guide Through Autism podcast. This podcast is to inspire, support, and build community for mothers raising children with autism. I'm Bridget Shipman, the host and creator of the Mother's Guide Through Autism. This podcast has been inspired by my son, Joseph, who has been living with autism for the past 28 years. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Robert Melillo. Dr. Robert Melillo is one of the world's most sought after and respected experts in developmental functional neurology, brain imbalances, hemispheric integration, and the diagnosis and correction of most neurobehavioral disorders and learning disabilities. He is also a successful businessman and entrepreneur and has developed many successful businesses. In 2006, he created Brain Balance Achievement Centers, which has approximately 150 centers and has helped tens of thousands of families. He is a prolific author and brain researcher. He has published one major textbook titled Neurobehavioral Disorders of Childhood, an Evolutionary Perspective. He has co-authored approximately 20 chapters and other texts on various subjects to related dyslexia, attention, front lobal development, etc. He has also published approximately 50 peer-reviewed papers. In addition, Dr. Malello has also written five best-selling books, including his best-known Disconnected Kids, which has been translated into eight languages. He has presented at numerous scientific and clinical conferences around the world, and he also has taught his own course in post-secondary graduate level for 20 years. Dr. Malello is an Associate Professor of Developmental Disabilities at National University of Health and Sciences, has multiple graduate degrees in chiropractic, neurology, neuroscience, and clinical rehabilitation neuropsychology, and is a co-founder and past president of the International Association of Functional Neurology and Rehabilitation. He has appeared on over 1,000 radio and TV interviews and with his wife, Carolyn, developed their own TV and radio show. He was honored to be part of the Dr. Mark Hyman's recent documentary, Broken Brains, as well. He and his wife are also currently the creators of new web series, Disconnected Kids, Reconnected Families. They've been married for 29 years and have three kids. He is honored to be on the advisory board for Zach Brown's Camp Southern Ground for children with learning disabilities. I am so excited because we have a renowned, I would say renowned guest on Mother's Guide Through Autism. And so I'm so pleased And I'm very excited because I think anyone who's listening today is going to walk away with a lot of great knowledge that I know all of you are searching for, for your child. So welcome Dr. Robert Melillo to Mother's Guide Through Autism podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah. So I always like to start out with just... Are you offering us your background and how you became a doctor specializing in childhood neurological disorders, including autism? Well, um, it's, it's a kind of a long story, uh, but I'll try to make it shorter. Um, I've always been, I'm a clinician. I've been a clinician treating patients for over 30 years. And um, I very early on got a diplomate or a subspecialty in neurology and rehabilitation. And that was always my area of interest. Um, I wanted to use kind of almost like a sports medicine rehab approach to neurological issues. And early on, I also started um, teaching um, on a graduate level, clinical neurology and, and starting to do some research. And so for the first 10 years of my practice, um, you know, we had a very um, high level practice. I was, I created a multi-specialty team of people that would work together in my office and it was great. Then 1995, um, I walked in my house one day late as usual and I had three small children at home. My wife was sitting at a kitchen table with a woman and she was crying. And um, so, you know, walked up to my wife, she introduced me 
She said, this is Denise. Her son has ADHD and maybe mild autism. She's, you know, started a whole organization. My wife had been at a fundraiser the night before and met her, but she was very distraught because she had tried everything. She tried all the traditional approaches of medication and behavioral intervention and nothing worked and it was getting worse. And she was very frustrated. And my wife had said to her, you know, well, my husband knows a lot about the brain and neurology, but he also knows a lot about everything. He knows a lot about nutrition. And so maybe you should come and talk to him. <clears throat> so I said to my wife, okay, um, I don't really know a lot about ADHD or autism right now, but, um, you know, I mean, I'm pretty busy, but she said, listen, I think you're supposed to help this person. I get a feeling like this is meant for you. So I said, okay. And so I started doing some research, but a few days later, I went to a parent teacher meeting for my oldest son who happens to be 30. So a year older than your son. And the teacher said, you know, Dr. Malone, I don't know how to say this, but I think your son had, may have some sort of ADHD or something like that. So now as a professional, somebody who's supposed to be an expert in neurology, I felt, you know, terrible. I felt, you know, like a failure or a fraud because I didn't really know what ADHD was. And here it is. I didn't even see it on my own son. So, you know, how embarrassing is that? And then as a lot of parents go through, I felt like somehow it was my fault because I was busy and I wasn't there. And, but I remembered, you know, my wife saying to me that you're supposed to do something here and I don't believe in coincidences. And I really looked at it as a sign that I'm supposed to do something. And so my first question was, what is it? What is actually happening in the brain? So I went out to a lot of, you know, colleagues that I knew, friends of mine, pediatricians, pediatric neurologists, developmental pediatricians, neuropsychologists. And I said, what is actually happening in the brain? I knew a lot about the brain. I was just like, okay, point me to the problem and I'll try to figure a solution. And they all basically said the same thing. They had no idea what the actual problem was. And after a while, it was, uh, you know, I was incredulous and frustrated. And I said, how could that be? You know, meanwhile, there was a statistic that came out that said between 90 and 95, the use of Ritalin in the United States had increased 250% and no one knew why. So, you know, I had some background in research. So I said, somebody out there knows some of these answers. And before I know if I can help my son or Denise's son, I need to know what the problem is. I couldn't believe that people were actually out there trying to treat something when they really didn't know what it was. That didn't make any sense to me. So I spent 10 years basically, you know, researching it, speaking to researchers all over the world, going to libraries and just reading everything I could get my hands on. And after 10 years, I not only came up with the answer of what the problem was, not only for ADHD, but for autism, dyslexia, learning disabilities, processing, OCD, which are all basically part of one big spectrum. And, but I also was able to come up with a really unique solution to correct these problems the majority of the time. And I ended up helping Denise's son and my own son and other sons. And now with Brain Balance, we've worked with over 60,000 kids in over 12 years. And I've trained over 10,000 doctors around the world. And so, you know, and we're just continuing to try to make more and more impact and educate people more and do more and more research so that people can understand what actually is happening and what can be done. I love that. Yeah. Because, you know, as a, as a parent, I have like all, I'm sure anyone who's listening out there has searched and searched and researched and tried to find answers and here I am with my son being 29 years old. And I feel like I wish I would have known this, you know, <laughs> I, I really do believe this is going to be, it's going to change things. As a mom with a young man now on the autistic spectrum, there's a lot of suffering that comes with being a parent. Yeah. And, and that's why I've chosen this as what I do, but you're offering answers <laughs> that make sense, that are educated, that are researched, that have the data behind it. It's not just a shot in the dark because everything that I tried for my son was a shot in the dark. So that's what just that story is so powerful and everything that you put behind it. And you're focused on addressing the primary issue in most of the learning disabilities and the behavioral disorders 
which is known as functional disconnection. Would you tell us what functional disconnection is? Sure. Um, I'll try to make it, you know, in as short, as simple as possible. But you know, the good news is that what a lot of people are led to believe is that there must be some sort of brain injury or damage to the brain or, you know, chemical imbalance, which really doesn't exist. Or a lot of people are led to believe that these are genetic disorders, meaning they're genetic mutations and that the genes are damaged or broken. And therefore, there's nothing that can be done. Both of those things are not true. There is no damage in the brain of a child with autism or ADHD. There is no, you know, genetic mutation the majority of the time. There are two different types of autism. One's called syndromic and one's non-syndromic. And I don't want to get too much into it, but there are some kids that have a genetic disorder that are labeled with autism, but that's not really autism. Um, it's Down syndrome. It's fragile X. It's something else. But the majority of kids with autism don't have any clear cut mutations or single mutations, they have alteration in the way the genes are being expressed, but that can be changed. So functional disconnection, when I first started looking at this, um, you know, which was really in the, the uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, just then in, in neuroscience and in psychology and neurology, the concept of functional connectivity was starting to come around, meaning that um, it wasn't about physical connections. It wasn't just about whether there were synapses or how many brain cells you had. It was about how those brain cells actually communicate with one another, how they talk to one another. And that is really through um, really activating at the same time. And so there's a synchronization of networks and a communication that isn't always just physical. And this was a whole new area that with new brain imaging, we were able to look at. And then it became clear that the only difference between autism or ADHD or dyslexia from a typical brain was not when you looked at it anatomically, they looked the same for the most part, but that the way that they talked and communicate was a problem. And that most of these issues, even most adult mental health issues really start in childhood or in the womb. And it's a developmental imbalance and primarily between networks on either side of the hemispheres. And it's because of the way the hemispheres develop that sometimes they don't connect. And what happens is we get certain areas of the brain on one side that are overconnected or that are hyperactive. And then we have other areas on the other side that are underconnected, that have less connections. And those two can't talk to one another as well as they should. And we get this imbalance and unevenness of skills, like as in autism, everything that they are often exceptional at or savant at are left brain skills. Even when they're not speaking, it's actually still not a left, their actual ability to speak, their, their language networks are better than most people. And all of their deficits, like their nonverbal communication, their social problems, their lack of eye contact, the immune problems, the digestive problems, all of those are because of a deficit in development or delay in development in the right brain and the inability for both sides to really communicate. And in dyslexia, it's the opposite. So, and bipolar, it's the opposite, but it's the same underlying problem. So it's all about functional connectivity and functional disconnectivity. And what we do know is that, you know, what I focused on was how do you reconnect those networks? How do you do that? And that's what I've devoted my life to. And that's what we've done research and proven. And now actually Harvard Medical School did an independent study in my work and showed that it actually created physical and functional changes in the brain in a way that they've never actually seen before. That is big. <laughs> that is so powerful. And what a great job you did explaining it. Because, you know, most of us don't have the terminology um, and the understanding. So you did a great job explaining that in layman's terms for us. Uh, I really, I really got that. So what I'm hearing is that we can uh, reconnect the brain where the dysfunction is. And just in a nutshell. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, 
there are, any, don't get me wrong, there are kids out there that have brain injury, there are adults out there, there are people that have genetic disorders, and there are some brains that, you know, it's not just a functional connectivity problem, it is a physical problem. Um, but in the vast majority of kids with, and adults with neurobehavioral issues, that is not the case. And they can be significantly improved and even completely recovered. And even people with nonverbal autism, um, we have thousands and thousands of documented cases, not only in the United States, but around the world, where we have shown that they have completely lost their diagnosis. Now, that doesn't, there are some kids that are very severe and, and very hard, and we can improve them, but we're not going to get them to speak, or we may not be able to get them, obviously, um, where they can be independent. But with the majority of kids I work with um, right now that start off nonverbal within six, eight months, they're speaking and they're speaking fairly well. Yeah. And, and that is in itself a miracle. And uh, I want to get to your book, Disconnected Kids. And one of the things that, that I'm just wondering, so usually when something, when I have a question, I feel like I'm asking it for everyone <laughs> um, with this research and, and understanding that you can there that there are kids who are nonverbal that then they do begin speaking. Do you notice that it with our kids there are layers, right? So you're nonverbal, you have social skills. There, I mean that there's there's more than one one area. So these kids that begin speaking, do you also see improvement in all the other areas of their deficits as yeah. well, along with, so it's all yeah. inclusive. Yeah. The speech is actually not even our primary focus, to be honest with you, because speech is a left brain function and their left brains are usually better than, than average. Um, the main problem is a nonverbal communication, right brain deficit. Um, and their ability to control and feel and get in touch with their own bodies and their own emotions. Um, you know, there's been a number of books written by people who are autistic and nonverbal. And they always say the same thing. I couldn't control my body. Right. And that's why, like, I was aware. And many of them can write. I mean, I, you know, that there's one girl named Carly. She had a let, you know. She was completely nonverbal and completely disconnected and up until 11. And then she sat down and started writing and then eventually wrote books. So her left brain and her verbal skills were pretty damn good considering she never learned any of that. Uh, but she couldn't speak because she couldn't control her body. And all of that are right brain functions. And then there's also the context of speech. Why do I want to speak? You know, they're isolated. They don't have that drive, that social drive to connect with others. Right. So, and, you know, the brain controls everything. So all of the things that you see with, and we wrote a paper years ago, 2010, I think, where we showed that every symptom that you could explain in autism from, you know, the cognitive issues to all of the digestive problems, all of them are caused by an imbalance in the brain and an imbalance in what we call the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Even the immune imbalance, the digestive problems, hormone imbalances, all of it is regulated and controlled by the brain. Or if it's dysregulated, it's because the brain isn't regulating it the way it should. Yeah. And I, and I think that's important to understand because, you know, I, I come from the nineties when my son was diagnosed and everything was treated separate. Right. Right. And there was not remember, an offer. Yeah. I was just telling my son that you remember back then that, you know, moms and dads and people would say, hey, this leaky gut thing is real in kids with autism. And traditional MDs and medical association would say, no, it's not real. It's imagined or it's just coincidental. It has nothing to do with autism. And then in 2012, the AMA came out with an admittance that, it is actually part of autism, but you know, we've been saying that for years before that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love about your work is because it's, it's not, it's not a separate issue. It, it's, it's all about the brain. So uh, your book, Disconnected Kids, which by the way, was highly recommended to me by um, one of, one of the moms in, in my community. And that's really how I found you. So how cool is that? 
But yes. you talk about different symptoms and one problem. Which is the one problem we are facing? Well, the one problem is that functional disconnection syndrome. That is the one underlying problem. And, you know, the way the network, so the fact that networks and areas of the brain are not maturing at, are maturing at different rates and are not connecting, that's the problem. But the different networks that some are connected, some aren't, some are hyperactive, some are hypo, is the, the makeup is slightly different in every kid. So that's why, you know, when we say you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism, right? And that's true. Every child I work with, every family I work with is different. But the underlying problem is still the same. But the combination and how you need to correct that problem or deal with it is, is unique. And again, you know, disconnected kids, as you said, this is very complex stuff. I wanted to put it in terms that parents could understand. And, and believe me, the average doctor or therapist or psychologist doesn't really understand the brain any better than the average parent. People find that hard to believe, but that's absolutely true. So they need to understand it in, in, in simple terms as well. And so I wanted to explain it in terms that people can understand, give them real tools to assess their child and to actually be able to do things at home. And that book, you know, has really resonated. We've had two editions of it and it can translate, I think, into 13 or 14 languages around the world. And, um, you know, it's been one of the best-selling books of all time in this genre. And it's just been, um, you know, amazing, the feedback. And, and I have people from around the world that have just used the book alone and have completely changed their children's lives. Yeah, I think um, it's one of those books that is essential um, for parents to buy because, you know, uh, and that's why I like to have these conversations because it is absolutely overwhelming as a parent to know where to begin, uh, how do I help my child? And it's so awesome that there is a book that, you know, you can say for certain, get this book, start there. And when you, so we're talking about the brain, left and right. Can you, can you, in um, the best way you can for all of us to understand uh, the disconnect that you're talking about when we say left brain, right brain? Sure. Um, and, you know, the way that the brain develops is interesting and complicated and how the right brain and the left brain become different. Um, you know, it really is a product of mostly environment, not genetics. Um, and timing, the right brain forms first in the womb and for the first two to three years. And so things that are happening during that time in a child's life um, are impacting both sides of the brain, but the right brain is a little bit more active. So it impacts the right brain more and the right brain becomes better at dealing with and responding to those types of things that we see in a child. Like again, in the womb, a child doesn't hear very detailed syllables and words. Words, they hear tone of voice and they can understand emotional tone because they, they understand like if the mom or the dad are arguing, they can react to that. Mother gets upset. The baby gets upset in the womb if they're being loving to one another or they're laughing. And so the baby comes out being able to hear and recognize the parent's voice and also reacting to emotional tone, what we call prosodity. <clears throat> the right brain for the rest of our life will always be better at hearing the inflections in our voice, which is what people with autism don't hear, right? Typically, you know, when we're in the womb and when we're first born, we don't have really clear vision, right? We have very blurry vision and we can see the outlines and shades of gray and movement. And so the right brain is always better at that type of visual input. Um, and so the right brain, you know, we're not in the womb and when we're first born, we're not doing really fine, a lot of fine motor manipulative movement uh, with our fingers or our mouth. We're just getting used to our big body and we're doing gross motor control and we're trying to feel where our body is in space. So the vestibular part of our brain is in the right side, the big muscle, gross motor feeling the spatial side of our brain, the right brain early on. It's mainly about, you know, forming attachment and being able to form personal relationships with other and, and maintain those and learn the rules of social engagement and nonverbal communication. That's the first form of communication. 
the right brain is governed by mainly a withdrawal type of behavior to safety and protect oneself. So then at about three years, the left brain kicks in. And I always say, you know, what's the main question of a three-year-old? It's why, right? They want to know why, why daddy, why mommy, why, why? Now they, you know, they want to fill in the details of the world. They start using their little fingers and, you know, they start speaking all the time. And so the left brain is now verbal and it's, it's, it likes patterns and it likes linearity and it's sequential. And the right brain is more sensory and the right brain likes new things. It likes novelty. The left brain is more motor and it likes to do the same thing familiarity. It likes to do same patterns over and over and over. The right brain, especially early on, we don't form conscious memories. We're learning and we are forming memories, but we're not forming conscious memories. So that's why under the age of three, we all have what's called uh, childhood amnesia. We don't remember before the age of three because we don't have a left brain yet, right? And so, but what happens to us in those three years can really impact us emotionally for the rest of our life. So childhood trauma, um, you know, lives in that right brain attachment or attachment disorders have something to do with the right brain or lack of development. The left brain is more about, you know, going out in the world and, you know, learning information and touching it and, you know, remembering it and setting goals and then forming conscious memories all the things that usually we do in academics. So the left brain is really very associated with intellect, intellect, or we look at people that are very left brain dominant as having an intellect trait, whereas the right brain is more intuitive. It's more what we stay creative. Um, and the right brain is more, you know, connected to the bigger world and connected to other people. Um, and, you know, that is more creativity trait. Too much of that is bipolar disorder. Too much of an intellect trait is what we look at as ADHD, autism, or schizophrenia. And so that's, and the right brain and the left brain, again, control the immune system and the left brain activates it. So kids with autism have a hyperactive immune system. That's why they may overreact to things like vaccines or foods or develop gluten or dairy sensitivities. Um, whereas kids with left brain deficits get chronic ear infections all the time. And they're sick all the time. So that's just a quick overview of left and right brain and how it works. My brain is just like going, oh my gosh, we could apply this to everything. I mean, every single person needs to go through the, this, right? Because we we can all relate to it, not just somebody on the autistic spec. I mean, anybody. I believe that in the future, we will have a brain-based model of health. Because everything, you could describe cardiovascular problems, high blood pressure, autoimmune disorders, um, you know, chronic infections, all the digestive issues, irritable bowel syndrome, you know, so any type of issue, the brain could be the primary cause, especially if it's been there since childhood. It almost always is the cause. And not only mental health, not only learning challenges, but also physical health issues are almost always first and foremost because of the brain. So it does apply to everybody and it is important. And the amazing thing is that it's the most important organ by far that we have, but yet for the average person, they know the least about their body, about their brain. They, they know nothing about their brain. They don't know, what their, what their cognitive style is or how their brain works. And one of my missions is to teach people how to take care of their own brain for them and for their children. Yeah. In essence, we have all the answers. It's just that we, we need to go to our brain. It sounds holistic, I guess, is what I'm saying. And I, I can see how I could benefit from it. So, you know, your, your chapter, What's Causing It All?, all right. So this is a drum roll question. What's causing it all? Yeah. So my third book is called Autism, the Scientific Truth, um, Diagnosing, Treating, and, and Preventing Autism Spectrum Syndrome, because I do believe that we have the potential to prevent it. And again, you know, a lot of people misinterpret what that means, right? And I understand that 
people in the autism spectrum are saying things like, you're trying to prevent me from being born. And that's not true at all. What we're saying is we're trying to allow that person to become actually the ultimate version of themselves. I believe that, you know, someone that is struggling with autism or ADHD, they are not really who they were meant to be. And a lot of people say, well, that's who they are. And I say, no, it's not who they are. Who they are is, is somebody else. And right now, they're not becoming the best version of themselves. Um, and I think we should absolutely understand and accept and, you know, uh, and, and not judge anybody. But I do believe that we can change people for the better. And it doesn't mean, you know, we want to change who they are or anything like that. Um, but I just want them to become who they the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, so in my book, uh, what I did was looked at all the scientific literature. I talked to epidemiologists and um, it's clear that there were certain environmental factors that have occurred and changes over the past 30 years or so that have altered the way the brains are developing in the womb and in early development. One of the main things is the development of the computer technology, computer world. I mean, look what it's done with our life and our lifestyle. Now, it sounds simple, but one of my, my first book, Neurobehavioral Disorders from an Evolutionary Perspective, I really asked the question about what is a brain? What was the first brain that formed on the planet and why did it form? And it turns out that we developed brains because some living thing moved. And movement is what created brains on our planet and movement is what creates the brain in a child. And what we see is that anything that takes us away from moving or that doesn't allow us to move or we move in, a, um, in an altered way impacts the way our brain develops more than anything else. And so what we see is that with the development of computer technology, we're all moving significantly less and at earlier and earlier ages. And that right from the impact impacts children, but it, all, it also impacts moms and dads because it affects their brain and it creates imbalances in their brain, which alters their hormone balances, which increases things like cortisol and stress hormones and inflammatory chemicals. And then that has an impact on the way the genes are being expressed. It doesn't damage them, but it alters their expression and the genes that are most impacted are the ones that regulate brain development, which is about 85% of our genes. And they are the most sensitive genes because our brain is the only organ that's not fully formed at birth and that is designed to be shaped to our environment. It's an advantage so that we can adapt to whatever ever environment we grow up in. But if that environment isn't ideal, if we don't move, if we don't interact, if we're involved with stress, if we, um, you know, have a problem somewhere, um, then there are many different things that can affect it. Now, there are other things like pollution, um, you know, uh, different chemicals in our environment. There are things like plastics and phthalates and BPA, and all of those things are also playing a role. But what we do know is that by far it's lifestyle. It's mostly our lifestyle. The same thing that is driving an epidemic of obesity and hypertension and, um, and cancer are the main problems that are also changing and altering the way the brain is developing in the womb. And that is the main driver. And the good news is that, you know, by being aware of these environmental factors, we can alter them. We can minimize our stress level. We can change. We can get rid of the chemicals that are in our body. We can reduce our body fat percentage. We can look at our cortisol and our hormone levels. And we can, we can modify all of these risk factors. And we can't say for sure that it will prevent something, but we can show, say for sure that we can lower the risk of someone having a child with a disability or at least, you know, reduce the severity of that disability. But again, as I talk about in Disconnected Kids, I believe we can almost change anything um, anyway, even if we don't deal with it beforehand, we can still reverse it um, most of the time. Um, but again, if we can prevent it or reduce it from the beginning, um, you know, that would be the best approach, I think. Yes. 
Uh, I hear that. So all of you that are listening, I think that we we do have so much that we can do to help ourselves, help our kids. And, you know, because a lot of times as a parent, you, you feel like you don't have any power. I, I don't know what to do. I, I there, what, what do I do? You know, you just gave us a lot to think about and a lot that, that we can be doing. Right. Uh, and I love your books. I love, you're such a great teacher because I know this is a complex thought process for most of us to think, I mean, you, you're talking about the brain, Right that is like not just your beginner science class. There's a lot to it. So you do such a great job. In the book, you also offer the at-home brain balance program. Because again, I started out when, you know, technology was just beginning and I didn't have anywhere to go or anything that I could do because I live in a rural little town, right? But you're offering this brain balance program that we can do at home. What does it, how does it work and what can parents expect from doing this program? Well, as you said, you know, I also want to always, always wanted to empower parents and teachers because really those parents and teachers are the ones that really deal with this issue. You know, people say to me sometimes, you know, what do doctors think about? What is the traditional medical approach? And I say, you know what? They don't really deal with these issues, to be quite honest, right? I mean, how many doctors are actually really dealing with ADHD or other than writing a, a prescription, right? So it's teachers and therapists, and and that was my audience. And the fact is, you know, when when I'm working with a child, whether they're local or whether they're somewhere around the world, um, it's the majority of the work I really is being done by the parents at home. And so even though, you know, I'll say, you know, I'm working with a kid and they get changes, it's really the parents that are creating these changes because to make the changes, the things that I prescribe are simple, but they need to be done repetitiously. They need to be done consistently in the right way. So I spend a lot of time training people. So the brain balance program and what I have now is what's called the Melillo method, which is a more advanced version and really focused by you know, in brain balance and in our centers, we really deal mostly with higher functioning kids. We deal with kids that mostly don't have an autism diagnosis, um, which is, you know, the vast majority of kids with a diagnosis. But, you know, once brain balance was really doing a great job and working well, I really wanted to focus my efforts on the kids that, you know, people think can't be helped and the most severe problems and even genetic disorders and brain injury. And so really over the past several years, that's been my primary focus. And I've been able to get, you know, a more sophisticated approach that does involve sometimes a lot more sophisticated tools in my practice, things like the use of laser and light and transcranial, you know, electrical stimulation and magnetic stimulation. And I'm part of a company where we develop virtual reality and video games specifically to rehabilitate the brain in the proper way where most video games and virtuality actually hurt the brain. We're actually doing a way to change it and we're going through an FDA trial and we believe we'll be accepted with that. So there's a lot of things as well as advanced nutrition and immune um, you know, interventions. But still we're, we're having people do things at home. And the idea is to train parents how to be able to understand what's happening in their child's brain and to do things using different types of stimulation, you know, looking at diet and nutrition, doing things, you know, with cognitive activities. And especially a lot of it has to revolve around a really important part of my work, which is called primitive reflexes. Um, these are reflexes that babies are born with that allow them to move and interact with the world in the first year of life. Um, when they are born, they really don't have a motor cortex and they don't have control over their motor system, but they have to move. As I said, movement is what actually develops the brain. So they have these reflexes that come from the brainstem that, you know, all parents are aware of like rooting and sucking reflexes and grasping reflexes and startle responses and what we call asymmetric and symmetric tonic neck reflexes that allow the child to kind of almost move automatically that allow them to birth themselves out of the womb and then allow them to roll over and then crawl on their belly and then crawl and then eventually walk 
at one one year is when they should walk and then those reflexes should go away and then we should be able to upgrade our brain and this is the way the brain develops and in almost all the kids that we work with they have what we call retained primitive reflexes meaning some of these reflexes never went away and if they don't go away in that first year they they will never go away um, I see people that are 50, 60, 70 years old that still have primitive reflexes, but with simple activities and exercises, we can get rid of them. And at any age, that makes a huge impact on brain development. Um, so a lot of what the home program is about training parents how to stimulate these reflexes or do exercises to inhibit the reflexes, to stimulate one side of the brain or the other, and to um, do things with diet and nutrition that's going to help. So it's about empowering the parent and getting them to do things at home to be able to change the brain and to be able to help correct these issues. Yeah, that's great. I think it's so important to have that work that that we can be hands-on, understand it, and then, you know, be doing the work at home because I, I think that we're we're the ones that are with our kids the majority of the time. Not only that, but we can also take these tools and help our teachers that don't have the training to understand them. So really working together and creating that support community around our kids. And nutrition is uh, so important. What, you, what do you think? What should our kids be eating? Well, first of all, nutrition is very important, as we said. But nutrition and dietary problems and, you know, toxins, they don't cause autism. Autism is caused, as I said, by these functional disconnections in the brain. Um, and it's more the way genes are being expressed. And But diet and nutrition typically isn't the cause. But and, and most of the problems that they have are a reflection of the brain. Because again, the brain isn't regulating the fight or flight and the rest and digest system. Uh, properly. We're not producing enough acid in our stomach. We have what we call a leaky gut. We have malabsorption because we have reduced blood flow to the gut. All of this happens because of a heightened sympathetic nervous system, which is because we have an imbalance in the brain. And so, you know, we're not producing acid to break down. So it alters the pH in the gut, which causes, you know, an overgrowth of candida or bad bacteria or yeast and all of these things. And, and then because we're not breaking down gluten and dairy and casein, that gets through and then that triggers the immune response, which is hyperactive because the left brain is, is, is overactive. So all of these dietary issues doesn't mean they are important to address, right? We need to identify if a, if a child has a food sensitivity and if it is triggering an inflammatory immune response and eliminate that for a period of time. We do need to give them nutrients because they're not absorbing nutrients the way they should. If you don't have acid in your stomach, for instance, you can't absorb B12 or folic acid. If you don't have B12 or folic acid, you have a problem with what, with what we call methylation. Um, and then also with sulfation, which is a detoxifying. But if you just giving them B12 and folic acid, they can't absorb it. So giving it to them doesn't really do much. So, you know, you need to understand the whole complexity of the issue. But, you know, I think eating a good, varied diet, I mean, there's nothing wrong with gluten or dairy in and of itself. But it is, they are very common if, they, if we can't digest them, that they can trigger the immune response. Eggs are the same thing. You know, we do need to take some vitamins, but, you know, we don't need to take a lot. But if we are, you know, not absorbing things or not breaking them down, then we do need to take vitamins. I created my own line of vitamins because I was never, never found vitamins that were exactly correct. And there were no vitamins that were specific to provide the nutrients for either the right brain or the left brain. You know, my whole work basically says what you're going to do is you're going to activate the underactive side of the brain. You're going to build that up, which creates balance and creates connectivity. So I, I created vitamins called True Genius and Kid Genius vitamins for adults and children that provide the nutrients to help support either the right brain or the left brain in its development. And um, so, you know, I think all of that is important. And, you know, it is when, it, when somebody has a diagnosis, though, it is an individualized thing. 
Um, it's hard to say what, what should they eat, what shouldn't they eat, because any, I mean, I've seen children with 60 or 70 food sensitivities, but you look at that and say, well, how could that be? And how, what can this child eat? And it's very frustrating. The good news is that in at least 90% of the cases, when we help improve or correct the brain, we correct this imbalance in the digestive and the immune system. And the child then can go back to eating anything that they want. And they don't have to eliminate it. And they don't have to take a ton of vitamins, just like a multivitamin and omega-3s and vitamin D, which I think is everybody needs to take. Um, and so, you know, it is something that, that can be changed. And it isn't a primary cause of these problems, but it is a result. And it needs to be addressed, but it's not the solution either. Just diet and just biomedicine is not the solution to these problems. Yes, and that's what I what I keep hearing is this is all inclusive, and it it starts with the the disconnect that we all have. I think we all have it, but again, it's an individual thing, and especially in our kids who who are on the autistic spectrum, we we begin with the brain, is what I'm hearing. And then we, we, we incorporate the other pieces. So mind, body, spirit, but really it's brain, <laughs> brain and, and yeah, spirit. It is brain. <laughs> yeah. And we, I do what's called QEEG, um, you know, and, and we do do some things with neurofeedback at time. You know, every tool, it's not just about all these tools that are out there. It's about when to use them and how to use them and where to use them. Um, and certain tools to me don't come into play until, you know, much further down. If you still have primitive reflexes and you have lack of core stability and you have an imbalance in your brain, if you don't deal with those three things, anything else you're going to do is going to be kind of a waste of time. You start doing complex eye exercises or neurofeedback or behavioral interventions, and they're not really going to address the primary issue at that point. Well, you know, I, I can just feel whoever's listening. Some of us are just like, yes. Some of us are like, hmm, you know, the, the skeptics. So I would like for you to, to share some of your beautiful success stories, right? To just like really make it solid because I clearly understand it. And I'm one of these yes people, but for those that aren't, what, what do you want to share? Let's share some, some good stuff. You know, I have so many of them and every one of them I mean, I have a young family here from Mexico right now, and uh, the daughter actually has a genetic disorder, and the son is more classic autism. And um, a couple of weeks ago up here in New York, I saw one family from Tennessee. Um, she had, the mom had twin, two three-year-old twin girls with autism. And, um, and then there was another family here that from India, but they lived more local, and they had had also uh, three twins, uh, two twins, two three-year-olds, but one had autism, which was the little girl and the boy did not. And so I had treated the other young girl with the boy and the girl. And in five months, this girl went from being completely nonverbal and being, you know, very violent and aggressive and to where she could speak over a thousand words and five, six word sentences. And you almost couldn't tell the difference between her and her little brother, who was brilliant. And then the other family was here and they had these two, you know, autistic girls. One of them was higher functioning than the other, both nonverbal. And the, you know, the first day we work with them, you know, they have what's called a natural, what's called fear paralysis reflex and fight or flight reflex. So if you go near many young autistic kids, they're going to immediately run away or fight or scream or yell. And so that right off the bat, you know, intimidates a lot of people. Um, but I know how to work with that. And so this one little girl, you know, she was really fighting us a lot, but we, the dad was there and, and we were working with her. And that first night they went home and they slept through the night for the first time in their life. And then the mom sent me a video. It's on my Instagram. People can see this, right? If you don't believe me, go to my Instagram. It's all on my Instagram at, at Dr. Rob Malillo. And um, the mother showed me that um, this one girl, you know, she had never recognized herself in a mirror. 
and she never would listen to directions where the other child would look at herself in the mirror and listen, like if a song said, you know, touch your toes, raise your hands, and the other girl would do it. And so the mother then sent me a video after the second day of treatment showing the one girl looking at herself in the mirror, listening to the music and following all the directions. And this happened, you know, again, the second day. And then she, they, she saw the other girl and said, and I said, you know, five, six months ago, they, she was just like your daughter's. And she said, no, there's no way it's impossible. And then the other mom said, oh, absolutely. And now they've become friends and they're going out there and trying to, you know, tell other people. And one of the moms is from India and she's like, we have to get this to India. This is hugely important. You know, it's such a problem. And, you know, so these parents become so passionate about it, but, you know, these sound like, you know, impossible stories, but I see this literally every day. Well, and that, that to me, and this is why I do what I do. If that doesn't offer you hope and inspiration, my, my theory was as Joseph's mother, if it's not going to hurt him, I'm going to try it. Why wouldn't I? Right. Right. So these are stories of hope and inspiration and why not, why not try it? So as a, as a mom, I would like to know what is your best advice for raising our children? I, I kind of think what you just said, one was, you know, if you have an issue, um, most people don't know what they're talking about. Most doctors don't know what they're talking about. They don't actually know what's happening in the brain to this day. I start every lecture and I, you know, lecture all over the world. And my research team is a group of some of the best neurologists in the world. And they, you know, the, I start the lecture off by saying, you know, who can tell me what's actually happening in the brain? And no one ever raises their hand. And so understand that take everything that someone tells you with a grain of salt. If somebody tells you there's nothing you can do and that these are genetic problems or there's brain injury or that, you know, just I've had so many families that have been told, just look for an institution for your child. There's nothing you can do about it. Don't listen to those people. They don't know what they're talking about and just run from them. Um, and people that are like, well, you got to be careful you listen to because there's a lot of charlatans out there. There really isn't that much. I mean, most of the people out there that are they're really trying genuinely to help and they have different tools. But most people are only using one tool when you really need many, many tools, but that, you know, in almost all cases, these things can be changed, certainly improved, if not completely eliminated. And so you don't just have to manage them. For the other kids that are being raised that don't have an issue, I think the biggest thing is we have to go back to an older form of lifestyle. Let your kids go out, let them ride bikes, let them be in nature. Let them climb trees. Let them socially interact with one another. Let them eat healthy. Don't have them, don't, I, I don't think a kid should really be on a, I, I would wish that we would make laws that kids can't be on social internet or have a phone before the age of 16 because the brain is not ready for it. And I see so many parents out there using their phones and iPads as babysitters. And the answer is don't. Don't, don't do it. It is actually bad. It actually does change the brain in a bad way. And especially if they have a really strong left brain, it makes it worse. So that, you know, the kids that are most likely to become addicted and damaged by it are the ones that are autistic or ADHD or OCD. And they're the ones that want it the most. But you have to be able to say no. You have to be able to, you know, sit at the table and have a family conversation. Don't, don't use that. Don't ever use it. I mean, even on a long ride, I mean, it's so easy to just go there and use it as an excuse to quiet the child down. Don't do it. It's a mistake. It's a big mistake. Let the kids be physically active. Let them figure it out. Let them use their own imagination. You know, our imagination is so important and it's being killed because we don't let kids get bored anymore. It's such a mistake. Let them get bored. Let them figure it out. Make them do chores. They should have work. Old-fashioned values when it comes to raising children are still the best. 
and we're losing that. And the kids are taking over the houses. The kids are ruling the families. Um, the parents are just, you know, it's like the kids are guests in a hotel and God forbid they are, you know, not entertained. The family, the parents feel like they're failures. You know, if I said to my parent, I was bored, they'd be like, oh, good. I have a job for you. You know, I would leave the house in the morning just so they didn't give me a job. Right. I would get out of there really fast. You know, I mean, even in a summer in a hundred degree day, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to sit in the air conditioning and watch videos all day. So we just have to be aware of that. Don't be afraid to be different just because all the other parents are doing it. Don't do it. I absolutely like I, I just want to start clapping. Yay. <laughs> because I, I agree. And it's it's very difficult to watch. And I think if we can educate, you know, and 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 explain this to why it's not just like, well, just don't do it. No, really understand that you're harming your child if you do do this, then it, at least, you know, we can get their attention and say, you know. Just take a time out. You you don't want to hurt your child. No parent wants to hurt their child. So they need to understand it. And I, I think that is a, a teaching moment for sure. I, I want to ask this one thing because I know there are moms that listen to my podcast that have kids who are older. So I'm just throwing this in there real quick. Is it too late? No, it's never too early. I work with kids that are infants. And it's never too late. The only problem later on in life is that when you have some kids, especially if they're pretty severe, to get them to do things that can change their brain may be hard because now they're big, they're full grown adults and they can fight and they, and it's really going to be hard sometimes to get them to do things. So it's easier when they're younger because we can control them more and we can get them to do activities and the parents can do stimulations to them. And even if they try to fight back, the parents, you know, um, can really control it. We can, you know, control what they eat and their diet and the vitamins that they take. As they get older, it becomes harder to do that. But the potential to change the brain is always there. And I work with adults. I work with all different types of things, you know, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, um, which may not even show up until you're 20 or 30 or 40. Almost all mental health issues in adults actually start in childhood. And it starts with retained primitive reflexes the majority of the time. So, you know, it can, there's, it's never too late, but certainly, especially with autism and nonverbal autism, the older they get, the harder it gets to get them to be able to work with us to do what it is to change it. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So, but I always walk on the sunny side of the street. So if you're a mom that has a child that is getting older, it's not too late. It's not nope. too late. Right. right? So nope. that that's great, great, helpful news. Is there anything that you want to mention before we go? No, I think, like I said, um, you know, people should start with disconnected kids and they should connect with me on social media because and my website, drrobertmalillo.com and my at Dr. Rob Malillo on Instagram and Facebook, Dr. Robert Malillo, because I do put a lot of videos up, educational, instructional. If they also reach out to us, you know, I do webinars and quite frequently for parents where I answer questions for them and, you know, give them real information. So, you know, I usually post that on my show, social media um, so that they can find that. I have a lot of videos out there. My wife and I did a TV show, a web series where we go into people's homes called Disconnected Kids, Reconnected Families. So there's a lot of resources out there for people if they connect with my website and my social media um, and hopefully I think I'm going to be doing a Ted talk soon, maybe two actually. And so, you know, we're going to be trying to give people information, um, and I'm, I'm here to help and I'm happy to try to answer questions. People ask me questions on social media and I answer them most of the time. Um, so, you know, I'm here and very grateful for you, Bridget, for being able to have this and raise awareness for people. And as you said, you know, I'm always on the sunny side of the street with, with you there. I'm always hopeful. 
And, um, you know, and it's not false hope and it's really based on really good information and research. And, um, I think, you know, people, uh, are, can be surprised as to what their kids can actually be capable of. Wow. This by far has been so great. I think it has been a, a beautiful, fully connected interview because you've offered the, the why, the explanation, the how, the hope, the inspiration. And now it's just really about get, getting to work is how I feel. Like I want to I wanna spread it, spread it, spread it, and, and do my part for sure. I really hope that you'll consider coming back one day because I have a feeling we have a lot more to talk about. Absolutely. I have a lot of research that we're going to be coming out with over the next few years. That's really going to be fascinating and amazing. And so, you know, I'd love to talk about that with you and let people know what's actually, what's actually happening. Okay. Okay. Then I'm going to hold you to that. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for, for being on mother's guide through autism. My pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and share it on social media. You can download my free guide, Five Things I Wish I Knew Raising My Son with Autism, by going to my website, bmvlifecoach.com. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Mother's Guide Through Autism, to get support. I'm sending you all love and hope. Thanks so much for listening.